This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into a, an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, guys, we have Dr. Robin McKay hanging out, talking to us about cognitive experiential self-therapy, as well as positive psychology, truth has a frequency, which is fascinating, as well as what motivates change. Now, Dr. Robin McKay is a global expert on human potential, and she is fascinating. You're absolutely going to love this, how it integrates into the workforce, but more importantly, how it integrates into leadership. And uh, we talk about all sorts of really cool stuff, guys, and you're definitely going to want to hear her thoughts on aliens. Uh, It is fascinating, and you're just going to love her. Okay, so before we get to all that, of course, all the ways to find her are going to be located down in the show notes, her phenomenal website, and all the ways to contact her, guys. Make sure that you check her out. But before all that, let's talk about the resource links. Food, forced abundance, get your freedom from fear on, all linked down below. Libsyn, if you'd like to start your own podcast, highly encourage anybody who has the itch to please go ahead and do that. Now is the time and you should totally do it. So I'm encouraging everybody that wants to do it. That link will give you two months free, which is huge. That's great. Also, if you're going to buy anything on Amazon at all, run it through the show's link. It helps the show, and that's that's it. That's that's the whole trick to it. If you're going to buy anything at all, just run it through that link. It's located in the show notes. It helps us. Uh, Opus is the organization for paranormal understanding and support for all of your missing time, abduction, paranormal, any kind of needs like that. Definitely check them out, guys. Linked below as well. And lastly, we've got expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is going to be where links to all the socials are found, uh, as well as... Um, merch if you want to get some of that cool stuff you want to rock the threads uh, our collaborations are over there lives are replayed uh, too hot for youtube the list goes on guys so just go check that thing out located down in the show notes so let's get to this incredible conversation you guys are absolutely going to love her dr robin mckay Ladies and gentlemen, welcoming to the show. We have Robin McKay hanging out with us. Uh, you're absolutely fantastic. You and I have been chatting a little bit before here, and I'm already uh, head over heels. Just, I adore you. So I can't wait for my audience to get to know you here. Uh, so if you don't mind, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Sure. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on to this amazing show you have created. I'm Dr. Robin McKay. I have a PhD in counseling psychology that I got from the University of Kansas back in the day. It's been so long. It feels like yesterday. And yet I look at my diploma. I'm like, whoa, it's a while ago. Um, I don't practice anymore clinical work. I do a lot of executive coaching with top leaders from tech and healthcare primarily. I also work with spiritual entrepreneurs. And I've got a bee in my bonnet right now about ADHD and entrepreneurs. So I'm. that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now is solving the mystery of ADHD when it comes to entrepreneurship and all things expanding reality and how distractibility can be a gift as well as a curse, I think, in some in some cases. So that, I think, is enough to get us kicked off. Uh, no, it's a beautiful way to get us kicked off. And it's interesting that you say this because it is kind of a more sensitive topic, I guess. You know, it's up there with kind of autism and things with this neurodivergence idea. And especially people who are finding out that they're you know, uh, I guess, feeling these things later on in life. That's very interesting. What put this on your radar initially? Well, so I was an ADHD kid who was undiagnosed. Uh, Girls often are, same with you. Uh, 
where I grew up and when I grew up, when a girl had ADHD, it just got overlooked because we're quiet because I was always the daydreamer, the one who was late for stuff and who would mix up my numbers in math. And so then I wasn't as conscientious as the other kids or whatever, but I always got really good grades and everything else. And so that kind of was the beginning. But in my in my PhD studies, what I focused on was gifted and talented people. So people who uh, have fast brains in our heads can process things very quickly, make sense of things and know what to do about them. And looking at the intersection of intelligence and creativity, we found that a lot of highly able, very creative people have ADHD. Some Now more than ever, I think it's being identified, but it's still being pathologized, except in entrepreneurship. And especially, dare I say, with the kind of the bro marketing and all the, like I think about Gary Vee as kind of one of those guys who kind of gets pointed to when you think of an, an entrepreneur with ADHD. But there are spiritual entrepreneurs who I believe have an inattentive type that distracts that keeps them from their next level of influence, keeps them from making the bigger difference in the world that they're meant to be making. That was in a nutshell, kind of how I got here. But I didn't get diagnosed until I was, gosh, in my thirties, while I was, while I was studying my, I was, had actually finished my PhD and I was working in a, in a school for gifted kids. And I saw all these little gifted girls who had the di diagnosis of ADHD. And I was like, oh my God, that was me. And I had no idea up until that point, really no idea that that was what was going on. But that was a thing for me that when I finally understood what that was and then was able to kind of navigate the diagnosis, but then also how to treat it naturally, how to leverage it, how to access different aspects of my brain without pathologizing them. Those were the things that I think have really helped me along the path. And that's kind of what I talk about with people who I work with who have some kind of similar experiences. How quickly are you able to diagnose that or at least suggest that that's a possibility within someone when you meet them? Oh, for me, pretty quick, pretty quick, pretty quick. It's kind of like, do you know, I'm sure you do, the X-Men. Oh, Remember yeah. uh, Professor Xavier with Cerebro goes in and kind of finds the mutants. That's kind of, I can do that pretty quickly. I can, I kind of have a radar for, for the ones who are quite bright, quite intuitive, and probably has some ADHD stuff going on as well. Just personally, an incredible synchronicity. Uh, this studio I named Cerebro uh, for oh. that exact thing because it amplifies the message, right? Uh, just a very cool synchronicity there, Robin. I, I dig it. Uh, so with with the work that you do, um, what's been one of the most extreme changes that you've seen in someone that you've been working with? I just love how that's such a great question. Let me, where do I want to go with that? Here's what I see a lot happen, whether they have ADHD or not is sort of beside the point. It just is what I say about when people come in and work with me, it's about actualization. It's about leaning into your highest potential. And I say the best way to actualize the reality that you want to experience is to become the person who's already experiencing it. So there are so many internal shifts that happen. And what I see pretty quickly as people start living into their highest potential is that their world changes very dramatically and very quickly. People who are seeking high level positions in tech or in healthcare suddenly have these jobs open up for them that in markets that there's no way that it should have been possible. And yet they have whole divisions that organize themselves around the person to get the person in that position. So the matrix starts shifting for them almost immediately as they start really embodying the aspect of themselves who's already experiencing those desires that they've that they've put forth as their goals. Does that make sense? No, it, it completely makes I know sense. That totally sounds vague, but it's weird how the matrix works so quickly. No, it is interesting. Uh, did you have a point you wanted to clarify on it? It makes sense. But if you wanted to keep going on it, I'm, I'm here to listen. No, I just wanted sometimes I talk about this stuff like bending, <laughs> you know, bending time, jumping timelines and stuff like that. And people are like, what are what are we doing here? So but it just really that I think those are the things that happen very quickly in terms of the job searches. One of the things that I know a hill that I will always be able to take is when somebody comes to me and they say they want their next level position. There's something that happens that I just lock in on. I've been able to do for myself many, many times throughout my career. And it's the thing that I know when somebody comes to me with a, I want a new job, 
we'll be able to to leverage that. We'll be able to find that for them very quickly and have them drop into it. Yeah. Uh, so Better for, than what they could have hoped for or imagined, frankly. And yeah, and that's that's what it is. You know, it's the seeking of uh, advice and leadership, which we're going to touch on here. But um, it's very interesting what you said about the, the woo-woo stuff, uh, because you are on the right show. This is not called Taming Reality. We expand reality. So feel free to deep dive into any of that stuff. And I hope to do that with you this evening. Uh, so with your ADHD uh, clients that you utilize or uh, work with rather, um, going from where they're introduced to this idea of this being a possible answer for some of the challenges or obstacles that they've been facing, what then becomes an actionable route to further success for them? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we have to get them aligned with who they, with their, with their soul blueprint, basically so many times with people. And if you've had, if you've got an ADHD diagnosis yourself, you can maybe understand this too, or any kind of diagnosis, you sort of take on the characteristics that other people tell you about the diagnosis. So you receive and take on the projections of other people. Why are you so lazy? Why are you so scatterbrained? Why can't you get this right? Why do you keep transposing numbers? And you take on these these projections from other people, the criticisms from other people as your own, and you start to believe that about yourself. So a lot of the work I do early on is just to clear out all of the nonsense and get to really get really clear about who this person is at the core before anybody else's projections, before anybody else told you who you are, what, or who do you think you are, or who, what you're supposed to be doing in the world, what's the core of this person? And when we can, when we can clear out all of the, the nonsense, I call it, but all of the projections, all of the hooks and the cords and the implants and all of the stuff that gets programmed into our systems, then we have some clarity around what are, what are this person's heart's desires? What are the things that they're here to contribute? What are the here, things that they're here to master? And as I don't frankly focus too much on the ADHD itself because it just is kind of how our brains are wired. Right. So rather than, you know, working on strategy or, you know, accountability or anything like that, which I think is the last thing a lot of talented people need is a lot of accountability. We need more opportunity to create and to get something landed in 3D reality that is unique and useful in the world. And that's, I think, the great pain of people who struggle with ADHD diagnosis is they have so much going on in their heads and they can't quite land the plane. So when we bring their consciousness fully back into their bodies and we drop everything into physical into the physical plane then it becomes easier for them to get really dialed in on exactly what they're meant to be creating and move them in the direction of that very quickly while keeping it entertaining and engaging because that's the last thing that we like is for something to be boring for something to be dull for something to be rote and um then also just nor i'm going to use this word normalize brandon because i don't know a better word to use, but culture would say that this is abnormal, that you should be more responsible, that you should be more, more conscientious. And yet when we look at their personality profiles, when we look at what they're creating in the world, the, the, the most creative people who have short attention spans or who are flitting from task to task to task aren't particularly conscientious. They're not particularly responsible, and yet they're quite genius in what they do. And so to be okay with that, I think, is my point. There are some people for whom that's an easy stretch. They're not particularly agreeable, and so they just basically say, that's just the way I am. But then there are the ones who are very agreeable, who are the people pleasers, who are the ones who want to be the good girls and the good boys and who don't want to rock boats and who want to kind of maintain relationships who get a lot of stress from their screw-ups, the perceived screw-ups. So normalizing some of those behaviors that this is just the way that my brain works and I'm going to not be apologetic for it anymore. I'm just going to receive it as, as how I'm wired and just go with it. So in my house, my, um, my husband also has ADHD. So you can imagine that we have kind of <laughs> some intensities around here. Um, he's very classic male ADHD, some hyperactivity and things like that. He leaves, I was just talking to him about this the other day. He leaves the cupboard doors open. I'm like, oh my God, like, and I said, I'm going to ask you this, not as a criticism, but because I'm really curious about like, what goes through your mind? Like, why can't you just close the 
cupboard door. Like, what's the problem? He and he described it. He said, well, I'm just I get the thing that I need and then I get on with it. <laughs> yeah. Can you? And I'm like, OK, so that's just it's an accommodation that I have an opportunity to make for my husband to understand that that's where he's at without getting all judgy, you know, wifey slamming doors behind him. And why can't you be different? So it's such a great I, point. It's such a great point you make. My wife uh, does this, too. I've talked about this and we joke about it. Uh, and it's the same thing. I'm like, just what are you thinking? Like it just and same thing. She's like, oh, I just get the thing and I just walk off with it and don't think about undoing the stuff or completing the process in the opposite order. And same thing. Uh, there's a drawer. We have scissors in. Everybody has that drawer where just stuff's in. Oh, yeah. and that's where our scissors are. And it's right below a countertop. So she'll open the drawer. Use the scissors, leave the scissors on the counter with the drawer open. <laughs> and oh, just be sitting there talking to her. And I just gotta scoot them into the drawer and then close it. You know, just nonchalant, not angrily or anything, but like you, it is an interesting and not even accommodation and awareness, which is what you bring mm-hmm. to your work, which is very interesting. This is something I was picking up on this is that you bring awareness to these folks with all sorts of different personality types that you've got to be ready to integrate with this new knowledge. And so it's fascinating what you do. I'm always fascinated by this. So um, with with this, though, what I'm reminded of and just the way that you're talking about, it, it's kind of like an ayahuasca experience. You really shine light on dark, shadowy places, but it's a more um, grounded way, I guess, to do it rather than this extreme kind of, you know, psycho, six years of psychotherapy in a few hours kind of a thing. Uh, but you have a very interesting integration process. So uh, tell me one of your best success stories. What's your favorite uh, came to me and then I got a letter later saying kind of a story. I think about a woman who very, very bright. She's an engineer by training. So, you know, those engineers just have this real quick intellect, highly, highly intuitive as well. Really hard worker. And one of the nicest, literally, I I have a personality assessment that I give that's norm-based and standardized. So I can literally say this. She's one of the nicest people on the planet. Like no joke. In a room of a hundred people, like she's one of the most agreeable people in the room and it's really hard to be a good leader and be as nice as she is she was working as a consultant for herself and she was you know obviously consulting with some organizations working her ass off and just really she she came to me because she was burned out and because she wanted a new position she wanted a position in an organization where she could make a difference and also have the steady income and to not have to worry about all the things that go along with being a consultant so that first phase of understanding who she was from a personality perspective from an intellect perspective from an intuition perspective uh, was a big piece of the puzzle but also clearing out the shame guilt remorse all of the very human experiences that we have, the should haves, the could haves, the would haves, all of those things. After we cleared those out and she was really able to tune into exactly what she wanted, she sent me a job description and it was a director level position. Brandon, this woman, her CV, her resume was so, when I saw it on on LinkedIn, I was like, my God, she wants to work with me. (laughs) And yet, as she shows me this job description, it's for a director level position. And I was like, "Hmm, nope, no, VP and above, that's it. No more director level positions. And she was very qualified, obviously, for those upper level positions. So soon after that, a recruiter reached out to her for a C-level position. And within about, I'm going to say that process for C-level positions takes about six months or so to kind of work out all the details and everything. She ended up landing, and this is right before COVID, landed a, you know, I think her comp package was over 600,000 and she had all of these perks and all of these benefits and better than she could have ever hoped for or imagined. I celebrate that because that's a wonderful result, but it was really who she became in the process and that she was courageous enough to go through those deep, dark spaces to be able to speak life into the places in her heart where she felt ashamed, where she felt embarrassed, where she had trauma, where she was holding all of those things, you know, right in that, right behind your heart and in front of your spine, you you tuck away all of these things that you don't know what to do with. So in that 
transformation process, she was able to shift enough to take ownership of her career in a way that I don't think that I know that she wouldn't have been able to have done before, because if she could have, she would have. So I just love that story. I think that and she's still there. She led them all the way through the COVID nonsense. And, you know, ironically, after she got there, she had a diagnosis of cancer that fortunately she had all the support she had all the everything that she needed in order to take care of herself during that time as well so just a lot of precious things that happened over the course of that was probably an 18 month cycle but i still go back to those what happens in the middle the results are great but it's who she became in the process that i think i'm so proud of her for and i know that she has a lot of pride in herself as well amazing it, and those kind of results that uh, you know you give people back to themselves you you mm. show them there's a wonderful saying and i don't remember who said it but i say it all the time it's not that your goals are too high and you're missing them it's that they're too low and you're hitting them and mm. it's that awareness again it's all about awareness with this with you you bring that awareness to people you're like yeah you could but you could and so you you encourage but folks why to, not why not, right? Yeah. What's the best thing that can happen, right? That's kind of the motto. Instead of what's the worst that could happen, what's the best thing that can happen? And it's like, show me. So um, I, I'm very curious uh, how deep down the rabbit hole you go with your clients. And if you'd like, we can go absolutely further deeper. The reason I ask is because you'd mentioned some uh, very interesting understandings that um, a lot of people may need further explanation on, but you're able to explain them in a way that doesn't attach itself to something that they can detach to ideologically. So mm -hmm. my question is, is what's the process like for you to filter that down with the understandings that you have and to put it into 3D terms for better use of a word? You know, I've been translating spirit my whole life. And so it's like I speak two languages. I speak spirit and I speak English. I speak psychology. I was so grateful in, in grad school, and here's why. I had gone through my own spiritual awakening in my late 20s. I had a quarter-life crisis, looked at a picture of myself from my high school graduation and was like, where is she? Because she's not here. I was you know, bright-eyed and looked like I had the world by the tail. And by the time 10 years later, I was burned out. I was heavier than I had ever been. I was working, driving 45 minutes to work one way, working in a lab, doing all the things I was supposed to be do, supposed to be doing, but my heart knew that I wasn't on my path. So I had gone through my awakening process. I was on a spiritual apprenticeship for that would last seven years. At the same time, I was getting my PhD at a very traditional classic school, get, being classically trained as a psychologist. And so I come in and I've got all of this intuitive language that I'm speaking. I'm speaking about soul retrievals and I'm speaking about trauma and the way that the soul leaves the body. And I remember one of the clinical professors said, well, that's an interesting way to describe it. Let's talk about it from a, instead, why don't you talk about it from a brain science perspective, right? Or whatever, like there were all of these kind of, I had to figure out these nuances on how to speak about what I knew was true, true in a way that the people around me could understand that I would not ostracize myself and that I could could stand up in this in this field that is very privileged and very quite prestigious actually and be respected and not be looked at like some nut you know on the fringe of things so I don't know how well I actually did with that last part about not being a nut standing on the fringe of things. And now I don't care anyway. But at the time, positive psychology was this beautiful bridge because positive psychology was looking at things like gratitude, hope, spirituality, and examining them with a scientific lens and doing so where there was actually data that supported everything that I knew. So for a long time, I would just lead with positive psychology. That's always been my go-to, especially because I do still so much work in the corporate space with tech, especially with medicine, especially the intellect requires some kind of data to let it relax enough so that then I can get to their souls. Not everybody 
who's in tech, not everybody who's in healthcare is going to vibe with me. I get that. But there are those emotionally intelligent people who are, if they're awake, they're still in the closet. If they're not awake, they're getting ready to wake up in some way. They're in existential crisis or something like that. And that language around positive psychology was enough to signal to them that I was somebody that they could come to to talk about these deeper things that they knew that they knew that they knew they needed to resolve. I don't know if that actually answered your question, but that's where that's where I wanted to go with that. No, it did. And now I, you know, I'm I, I'm just thinking about uh, the work with like Dr. Emoto with the water studies, and this is scientifically proven. And you guys have to take a look at how emotion is affected, or water, you know, which is seventy percent of us, you know, how that is affected by intent or emotion. And this is a physical manifestation of this. So it's easy to to kind of buffer that gap with those kind of examples, as well as I'm thinking about uh, you know Dr. Lynn McTaggart's work with the intention studies that she did, the power of eight and all. And this is clinical study stuff that is actually documented that shows change. And there's countless of these. You know, the book Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot's full of it. An End to Upside Down Thinking by Mark Gober, full of it. So it's it's full of all of these clinical examples to where now it's easier for folks like you that know the truth, your your truth, that you would like to articulate because it's helpful. You know, and I've had doctors on here, uh, MDs, that talk about how they're psychics, but they can't really talk about that. You know what I mean? So they know what's going on with their patient and they'll phrase it in a way and they were like, hey, are you having problems with this? But their dead loved one is standing over the shoulder and they can't really communicate it that way in that setting. So, but it's, so it's this, this is, tipping And this point. is the hardest thing for clinicians. And this is something that I struggled with for a long time. And I've reached a point in my career where I just say what I think now because the dead people come in and talk to me all the time. And now my clients know that. Awesome. But for the physicians and for the psychologists who are psychic, who are highly intuitive and who do have connection with source, it can, it, I know this because I had this experience myself while I was practicing clinically it felt like I was practicing with one or both arms tied behind my back. Like I had to, I had to censor myself so much, especially in, I was working at a public university. So even talking about God was like, Oh no. So I always, my, my fallback was to positive psychology, but even then it started to feel very empty to me. And it's one of the reasons I believe I burned out in that, in that arena is because I was having to constantly censor myself. There's a lot of pain in myself. And I'm actually grateful for the time we're in now because we've got this timeline split that has happened. And it's becoming this bifurcation has created the conditions for us to really be able to see what direction people are headed with their with their lives, what timeline they're on. And there are people clinically, there are physicians, there are even engineers and scientists who are saying, what's the future of our field from the higher perspective? And it's going to look quite a bit different than what the people who continue to to walk this this other I was going to say lower timeline but you know what I mean just that that more other dense. less yeah. conscious more <laughs> dense timeline yeah absolutely we always uh, are over articulate the hierarchy is not yeah we not what we yeah. mean right yeah yeah we need yeah, some sort of uh, horizontal scale for it but even that would end up being hierarchical mm-hmm. in someone's perspective so yeah um it it's just really interesting this tipping point of physicians uh, that are that are moving in this direction because yes it's it's so thin right now the veil if you want to say it that way uh, but it's so obvious and and just like you said you can be more helpful embracing the idea of presenting this in a way that's helpful to people and so why wouldn't you and you know this is what i talked about it was dr ian rubenstein i'll never forget him he's so sweet but this is what i was talking about i'm like you know you took a hippocratic oath to do everything in your power right and so if you have skills that are not recognized by science just a science we don't understand yet but you're very confident in them is it going against your hippocratic oath not to utilize everything that you've got in the toolbox not the box they gave you to play with Yeah. You know, let's talk about those oaths and the ethics, the codes of ethics that clinician as clinicians, we are, I'm using this word intentionally bound to and Mm -hmm. by, by binding, I mean, it's an energetic bond. I believe right now, more than ever before, I'm looking for words just a second here, because this is, it's such an important thing that you bring up that those the at least for me the the code of ethics in my field basically says the same thing as the the hippocratic oath which is do no harm and yet the medical system is set up to actually harm patients yes 
Yeah, thank and you am for I doing, <laughs> I'm a truth teller. Yeah. But, um, but the challenge is that there's so much hypnosis within the community around what it means to do no harm. And people have drunk the Kool-Aid around science. And this is uh, to my, my point is with positive psychology, even I've moved away from even leading with that, because I think that at some point science gets in the way of our lived experiences. At some point, science becomes a disruptor and not in a good way to our intuition. So I've had to, in my own practice, look at where am I, where am I still bound to this, to this code of ethics in a misapplied or misidentified way? And how can I untangle that energetically so that I can be in full alignment with what it means to actually do no harm? Does that make I know it makes sense, but it's an important, it's been an important part of my journey in the last couple of years. That's so important. And the way you put it, I got chills. Uh, it's perfect. So thank you for articulating it the way that you did. It was absolutely brilliant. And this is one of the things, this is like you, you know, all these professors or whatever have to die before, you know, the truth comes out because you don't want to ruin their name. It's all this ego and wrapped up in this crap. And it does seem to be like this inversion of reality. I love the way you put that. It just doesn't, it doesn't mirror, it doesn't match our observable universe. It doesn't match things. This is why people question like the shape of the earth and stuff. This is why they question, um, you know, the education system. You know that educators go through this. Just had a, a wonderful guy. He's also a teacher, a literary teacher named Jake Loco, and he runs through the same exact thing. And it's about this binding. And it's, it's you you nailed it with this. You're, you were literally bound. You know, your angels with your wings bound. And you just kind of have to do your best and be that guiding light that motivates them to it least ask questions. You can't tell them the truth, but you can at least encourage the inquisitiveness in them. It, it's so important. And I love the way that you put this. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. So I'm just curious, what's your life philosophy? Like what's, what's your go-to just here's what's going on here and here's how I approach it. Well, in the last couple of years, as I've been riding this wave of, of life on this earth plane, what I've realized is that I'm either in the matrix movie or I'm in the hunger games and I'm not sure which, and it may be both a little bit of both a little Westworld too. sprinkle that a in little, there. You got it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, you're, you're right. You're right. So given that I, to be honest, I've had, there's been, there've been periods where I've been in, I'm going to say full on existential crisis Oh yeah. in the last couple of years. And that has been hard because I'm also a leader. And I'm also somebody who, so I'm somebody who is meant to be shoulder to shoulder on the front lines of this deal. And yet in my private moments, there have been times where I'm like, what did I even sign up for here? What is real? There have been times when I can't even look at the night sky anymore because I'm not sure what's, you know, what's going on. So there's been a lot of for me, movement in terms of what my life path is, where I was, I shot a video at the end of 2019. Oh my gosh, you should see me in this video. I'm beautiful. I'm glowing my hair, my nails, the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, sweetheart, you have no idea. Oh, my heart just aches. And it's, we've just changed so much in the last couple of years. There's been so many things for me that have come to light in terms of how this world works and who's in charge and what's going on behind the scenes. And so I've had some come to Jesus moments with myself and with my God. And I have said, I, I just need to know why I'm still here. What is my role? What is my purpose? And the message that just keeps on coming back is God's not abandoning his people and I am his hands and his feet, and I need to be here too. So with that in mind, then just that restoration of consciousness, the liberation of consciousness, the being free within myself to tell my clients, well, you're, you know, your dead father is here. Would you like to have a conversation? This is something that has been going on for years since I was in, well, since I was a kid, but formally in my work since I was in graduate school. And I would have to find a way around it and tiptoe through the tulips in terms of, and now I just say it and give them an opportunity to say yes or no. That's it. 
Well, and what you said about leaders, uh, and so do you ever disclose when you're vulnerable to anyone that you're a leader of? And I, the reason I ask is because a lot of times that can uh, motivate people that you're leading even more because they're able to see it's not it's not a weakness, you know, in that way. It's that you're able to display to them your vulnerabilities and show that you're, you know, human, you know, and that you feel and that you still experience that stuff. What I have learned, a gift of my training is to do that deep work behind closed doors. So I have my alliance of people who I work with privately. After I'm through the rough patch, I will, just as I'm doing now, I'm through that rough patch, so now I can talk about it here with you. But if I were still going through that, I, you know, I would be in a puddle on the floor and you'd be like, get a hold of yourself, chick. You know, like that, it's that deep-seated work that I think it's important to have privacy for but I also do want, always want my people to know that I am, I am human in this too. I have a vision and I can see around corners. I don't like what I'm seeing all the time. And maybe that's because I need to elevate my consciousness some more. Maybe that's because just what I'm being shown is a pretty bleak situation that's coming forward. So I'm very mindful about that to not process publicly what I haven't at least mostly resolved internally. Uh, it's a great, think, a great way to do you put know, it. Yes. Cause you know, there are some people who will go online and, you know, share everything and overshare and get vulnerable for the sake of being vulnerable. And I, it just, that's not how I, how I have ever been in my, in my work. So um, it's not something that I see shifting now, but I certainly, as soon as I'm through it, I'm going to have those conversations. Yeah, this is that emotional intelligence that you talk about. Of course you feel it, but you don't display it, right, in a way as you're going through it because that's a very private moment. It's a very private time. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. Plus, putting that on display, it's like um, uh, comedians say this about uh, acts that they're working on. They're like, don't record this, you know, because I'm working on a joke. I'm getting through it. I'm processing it. It's not finalized yet. And so you yeah. in that in that moment, it's an opportunity for you to be a greater, grander version of yourself, but sometimes that's not pretty. And yeah, the puddle on the floor thing is, is absolutely necessary for great growth. I mean, I've, I absolutely empathize with this. I have my close circle, same thing. I'll, I'll tell the folks all about it later, but let me get my shit together first. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's not in the gnashing of teeth. It's just not, <laughs> it's not for everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot when I'm going through my emotions. So I think that it reminds me uh, Battlestar Galactica. So they're on their, uh, um, they're on their trek and Captain Adama says, we're going to earth. We're going to find earth. So they go on their trek to find earth. And there's some point in that series where he confesses to, I think the president, I don't remember who he confesses this to, but he basically says, I don't even believe that there is an earth, but my people need to know that there's something beyond space. I just got chills. So that's kind of my, when I look at my philosophy of vision of creating meaning and purpose in my life and, and helping my, my people to do the same. I think it's really important to be able to acknowledge that sometimes we are in existential crisis and because we're human, but it's probably not the best idea to announce that to the entire, you know, crew that you're working with, for example. Could not agree more. Now about existential crisis, uh, is it necessary? So the reason I ask this is, is there's, I feel like a lot of things that people take on and take responsibility for and feel emotions for that have nothing to do with them. And it governs uh, the way that they interface with their reality. And it kind of robs them of the moment of now, if you're not in the moment of now, right? And especially for things, let's say coming out of the TV, for instance. So how, what is a good, some good advice for you uh, to give to people to manage those expectations? Well, I, the first question that you asked, is it necessary? Is an existential crisis necessary? I think that it's, there are moments that we have in our lives to do deep self-examination and they arise every once in a while. If we were always in existential crisis, that would be first of all, ridiculous. And secondly, mostly fake. Um, so I think that we can get entangled with the things that, as you said, are coming out of the TV, the reports that we're hearing from the other side of the world and so on that may or may not even be true. And 
we get, those are a lot of times distractions from what our purpose is. So we have to be discerning. And one of the things I see happening in our awakened community is especially with people who are just new to intuition, who are just learning like all the, the nuances of what it means to actually feel something that maybe doesn't even belong to you or to know something that other people know or to have a real truth bomb just drop in and just know that you know that you know it. We require a level of discernment. We cannot throw our intellect out but neither should we be bound by it. The intellect is meant to be our servant, not our master. So I think that in terms of existential crisis, I don't think that we have to go into healing crisis every time we need to make a transformation. I think that that's uh, going into crisis is optional. I think it takes a psychologically mature person to be able to feel his or her feelings, to be able to move through emotions, to move through difficult times without losing our shit. And, or at least without doing so publicly and to, to keep ourselves together because we are after all leaders and we are after all on the cusp of a new world that we are ushering in. And I think that that offers a level of decorum that perhaps that when we're spun up in somebody else's life, whether it's, you know, two puppets on the global stage who are in court fighting over something that <laughs> whatever it is, if we get distracted by that stuff, it takes us away from our mission. And so it's really important to put blinders on, on some of these things that are going on on the global stage. I'll just say that. I could not agree more. And, we, you know, I've got the saying, attend the garden that you've got, right? All you can deal with is what you can deal with. All you can manage is what you're presented with in your reality. And anything else is a choice to offer your energy and attention up to. Uh, but you don't have to go through this crisis. He's just like you said. And yes, I do agree. A, a good meltdown every now and then is absolutely necessary. I'm new to this idea, by the way. Um, I, you know, uh, just being super vulnerable here, I guess, I just don't cry. I just don't. Like, I'm able to alchemize, you know, pretty well. And I don't hold it either. So it's not an issue. Uh, and so, but, uh, we lost, um, one of our, one of our dogs He's a family member, but mm. man, this one just hit like mm. so hard. And I, I was a wreck for like five days straight. I've never cried that hard, that hard in my entire life. Added up all together for that one little moment. I mean, it'd been like 12 years since I'd shed a tear at all, but I'm lately, uh, getting just, I don't know. I like feel shit now. It's really, it's just really weird. And I get, I think it, you know, probably <laughs> has something to do with my own personal work and all that good stuff. You know, I'm not in this healing spiral, which I want to talk to you about, but it, it feels like this was just like this purge, this, you know, now was this puddle on the floor that people talk about. And it was, it was just, it was just unpleasant, you know, it's a, yeah, I don't want to video that and put that out. You know, I'm doing TikToks like crying. No, get out of here. Like process your moment, have your moment, feel your feels, express what you need and move on. And I'm, I love the way that you put it because it's just eloquent. And thank you. Mm. Well, I'm sorry you lost your puppy. That's you. so hard. And what I was being shown is that that dog carried a lot of uh, the stressors for you. And so part of that, just, you know, that purging and the saying goodbye and the grief that goes along with that. But that bond was really special. And he's still with you. Oh, God, I'm assuming yeah. it's a he, but it, yeah, was, yeah, they don't they don't leave us. They don't leave us. I know. And I've got this whole thing about it. You know, my wife and I don't have kids. Uh, we're just uh, opted out. I got the bullets taken out of the gun and everything. It's just not for us. Uh, and so, you know, our animals are like that. That's where we express our love in that way. And now we're running a damn nursing home for dogs. We have like three dogs over 12 <laughs> years old. And it's just, you know, we got them and they were all kind of the same age and they're all adopted. You know, they're all found us or whatever. But yeah, this little booger, uh, he just he just rang this bell. And yes, it was just this purging is really what it felt like. It felt more than just him. Yeah. You know, the other thing I will say about that, Brandon, is that for men in our culture, and I've written about this, that there is, um, you know, and you know this, the, the socially sanctioned emotion for men is anger. Anger or nothing. The, the times that men are allowed to celebrate, generally speaking, is after they hit a home run, or after they make a touchdown or after they win the Stanley Cup, they are allowed to embrace, to cry, to express emotion. But otherwise, every all of the emotions, and I'm speaking generally, I know that you know that, but I feel like that I need to also add that. There are more within group differences than there are between group differences when it comes to 
when it comes to emotions. But largely speaking, when you've got all of those emotions wrapped up because nobody ever taught you what to do with them when you were a little kid, do you see what I'm saying? So this, what a gift, what a gift that this little pup gave you as I'm going to use this word intentionally as an excuse to feel your feelings. That's, that's a wonderful way to put it. And, and it really though, I, I, and I, I'm smelling what you're stepping in and I completely agree with that. <laughs> I, I've never been adverse to it. I don't, you know, fit into those norms anyway, you know, being what's the same, being well-adjusted to a sick society is no measure of good health. And so I, I learned that a long time ago and I've had no problem flying my freak flag and just like, I'd cry if I needed to, but it's just, I really didn't, it's like a switch was flipped and, and, and it wasn't even like a permission thing. Cause I always give myself permission, you know? Uh, but it was really just like this, all of a sudden this flood of it came in. And it was really, I mean, I just couldn't stop crying. Like it was just this crazy and it, yeah, it was hard. You know, it's just so damn hard. And that little booger, but same thing, you know, I have this philosophy that like that we don't deserve them anyway. And dogs, I say this, uh, and, um, that it's better for us to outlive them. Cause you see those sad videos and I don't, I don't watch stuff like that. My friends know better than to send it to me, but you'll see this dog, like run a mile away from its house to lay at its owner's grave. Get out of here. I can't deal with that. You know? So the greatest gift we can give to them is this. And man, that dude went like that, by the way. I mean, you know, he had a little heart failure and stuff, so he didn't suffer, but it was like instant. And so that's like, you know, and then you think about that, like of all the ways you can return to source here, especially as an animal like that, you know, he wouldn't mauled by a bear or something like that. It was this easy, just boom over. Mm -hmm. It's just over. Perfect. Yeah. And that's like the gift, right? It's like what we give them. But um, anyway, I didn't mean to go off on that for so long, but it was an, it's just an interesting thing. And then it feels this, have you noticed this with your, uh, we'll just stick with the generalization of males now with the male clients that you work with, that they're a lot more vulnerable. Do they perhaps seek advice for what's happening to them, air quotes um, to you a lot more lately, especially? Yeah. They're asking, there's a lot of sense of responsibility among the men who work with me and wanting to be the, the pressure that I'm seeing with the men who work with me is that they want to be good guys. They really genuinely want to be good guys and they are good guys to the point where they're people pleasing and they put themselves on the, on the back burner in order to keep other people happy. And so a lot of this from the men that I work with is around liberating consciousness again and giving, I hate to use this phrase, but it's the one that just is occurring to me right now, giving permission to put yourself in first place because, you know, it's just that old oxygen mask in the airplane. You put that on first so you can help other people. Um, but mm, the the social standards, the social genetic generational influences that men have been enduring have really taken a toll, I think, on their psyches, on who they're meant to be in the world. And they are meant to be much more balanced in their emotional flexibility, in their connection with themselves, with source, with others. And so it's really just this I have a lot of compassion for the men that I work with because some, there was one man who came in and worked with me and he said at the end of the first session, he cried and he hadn't cried in a long time. He said, Robin, I didn't know I was going to cry. I'm like, well, what did you think you were going to do in here? <laughs> like, I don't make people cry, but it just creates the space that I create here with co-create here is the space of privacy so you can feel your feelings so that you can feel that stuff that's sitting behind your heart and take it out and look at it and let go of what needs to be let go of and open up to some new things in a different way that maybe you weren't able to see before as a result of the the clearing of that that old consciousness that's been sitting there masking who you're really truly meant to be. No, I love the way you put that. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, again, you're shining awareness, you're shining light on this. So to what you pointed out, and you pointed it out on a couple of things here, and I'm excited about this, is that you've noticed that, and you articulate this to people, and you, you clear this up for them when they're looking for answers and they're able to receive the information, you clear up the fact that a lot of things that they've learned and just been told and that are out there still kind of going on are the opposite of reality, the inversion of reality. I know yes. you've come to this uh, 
uh, understanding on your own. How are you able to articulate this? Because this is this is almost like a uh, conspiracy theorist. You know, you run around, you Paul Revere, you're like uh, geoengineering and look at Building 7. And, you know, you do all of that to wake people up. But it, it comes at this at the person receiving that information that finally can look above the wall of 3D into the 4D or a higher consciousness and start asking those questions. That's a very uh, heavy thing. And I'm sure that they experience your clients experience this as well or the people you work with. Do they get the same heaviness of responsibility like, oh, my God, I've been lied to the whole time? Or is it also and or is it also like a release, like a relief, like you've given them an understanding that they couldn't reach before? There is a psychological theory that I love, which is called cognitive experiential self theory. And it goes like this. When you're exposed to something new that you've never experienced before, whether it's an ayahuasca ceremony, just watching it without even participating in it, or going to an African-American Baptist church for the first time, and you're a white Catholic girl, for example, um, you have these experiences that are outside of your normal world, and they change you in some way. You realize something that you didn't realize before. In this, in this cognitive experiential self-theory, what ends up happening is that there are some people who will take those experiences and integrate them into their personal schemas, their personal perspective on the world. And they'll say, wow, this, is, this changed the way that I view the world. Things are different now. There are other people who have the same experience who will say, you know what? Never mind. I don't want to know. And they kind of, for lack of a better word, they go back to sleep. And it's almost like that thing never happened to them. And then there's, you know, all the space in between those two extremes. So where I always start with is with this truth has a frequency. And when you listen, when you pay attention, you can start to really tune into what truth is, what is true. I've also learned along the way that most things that we see have two truths and a lie attached to them. So, you know, there's a level of truthiness to it and it makes sense and you can kind of sense it, but then there's always something that's hidden and that's the inversion. Whether it's a psychological theory, like I have this, I have this theory that Maslow's hierarchy of needs is actually inverted. Huh. That self-actualization should be at the base, not at the top of the pyramid. Yeah. Like the starting point, not the result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're self-actualized, you have everything else. Okay. So truth has a frequency. And that's where I start with my clients. There are some who I remember sitting on the deck of a restaurant, looking out over this beautiful Creek bed uh, with one of my clients. And we were talking about all the things that are going on in the world. And I forget what I shared with her. I don't, who knows? There's so many things that I could have shared with her. And she sat back in her chair, kind of like this. And she said, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't know if I should have an existential crisis with it. I don't, I don't know what I should do with it. Well, she needed some time to process that, to decide if she's going to integrate it or not. And she has integrated it. Other clients, especially in the medical profession that I work with, who I've done, I do deep energy work around um, the vaccine after they've received it because a lot of them have, they'll go through an entire clearing process, understand exactly what happened. And the next day they're on the news promoting the vaccine. Like there's a complete disconnect between what just happened behind closed doors and their front facing self. And that tells me how deeply they're embedded in this, this very sick world that we're living in. It's very sad. It's very sad. What I have had to do for myself, because I want to shake them awake, is to say, wait a minute, this is something that one of my teachers has been really clear on and helped me with a lot of times, is free will. That I don't get to say what they choose. I don't get to, I don't even get to wake people up. It's none of my business. Some people are not meant to wake up. 
You know, um, and I agree with this 100%. Uh, you know, the old, uh, this is a play, you know, kind of a Dolores Cannon idea that uh, they're just, everyone's playing a role and there's a necessary percentage of people that can't wake up. That's their role is just to play yeah. that part and it motivates change in us. So that's something that I wanted to ask you about. What in your mind is the best thing to motivate change? Turn off the TV manage your consciousness, stop playing games on your phone, pay attention to where you're allowing your consciousness to be hijacked and stop it. It's perfect. Because then you have an opportunity to see what, what is real. I have a lime tree in my backyard and a pomegranate tree in my backyard. Nobody can gaslight me about whether there are pomegranates growing on my tree. Does this make sense? It makes complete sense. And uh, it's because it's yours, you're the observer here, and you can see whether they are or not, and they don't have access to that information if it's in your backyard, right? And uh, this this disconnect between what's presented and, and I'll say what's yelled at you, and that's, that's kind of the thing that turns me off the most, or that's an indicator for me that I'm not in alignment with this, and that what you're yelling at me demands that you yell it, uh, because again, truth has a frequency. I love that you put it that way. I, I, that's just ringing with me like crazy now. Uh, and so there's a disconnect there between, again, what you observe in your reality and what you're being presented with. And I've got a real strong feeling here that that's part of our mission. That's part of our job here. We're presented with things in this environment that has employees called, you know, uh, Klaus Schwab, and they are presenting something for you. And if you'd like to take part in that, you can. And if not, then perhaps that's an example of what's to come if you don't align with something and create something better yourself. And that's what the, these employees of this place kind of facilitate for us. This is just how I view this. What are, what are your thoughts on that? The other, the dark forces or the lizard turds, as we call them here on the show? Well, Two things. I always remember that we are true creator beings. And the only thing somebody who's not a true creator being can do in truth is to invert something that you or I have created. So we need to be really discerning about what we're creating and for whom we're creating it. And I think to me, it goes back to not allowing your, your consciousness to be hijacked. Consciousness is commodity. And we have to guard that. And I don't, I'm saying that, and I don't always guard my consciousness. I watch Netflix. And then I have, I had a watch Netflix last night. I had a bad dream last night. Coincidence? No. I woke up from it. And I'm like, oh, that, that was shady. What just happened there? And I can see it. So I have to get better at that too. But I think that um, the, uh, the dark forces Their agenda is very compelling, seductive, and um, in some ways magnetic. And when you feel drawn into something that is seductive, magnetic, and compelling, um, it's hard to get untangled from that. I think the best way, again, to do that is guard your heart, guard your mind, and look, look to the light inside of you there's a lot of false light out there too as you know oh yeah the light worker community has been infiltrated Seriously. as well uh, we we could do a whole show on this my wife and i 100%. were talking about this so much about the new age community about and you know what sucks about it is it's it's like so cool you know it, it's so awesome but then there's these extra little things tacked onto it and in my mind a lot of it's just superstition with extra steps it's like a lot of it mirrors the, you know, uh, religious doctrines. I mean, just, you're just putting a different character on it. Like we did with the Egyptians, you know, it's like uh, it, uh, again, we, and I'm going to have you back and we should actually, we'll, we're going to do a panel on that. We need to talk about real spirituality and what that looks like and uh, imposter spirituality, something like that. I'll help you. I'll have you come up with a clever title because you're great with words. Well, I think that for me, and I'll just, I'll close with this today with regard to the infiltration of the light worker space is my signal with that. Remember I said truth has a frequency, but the other thing for me is that if there's somebody out there selling something and I don't feel cool enough, that's my signal. The moment I don't feel cool enough for something, I know that there's something that's sideways about that particular person. That's a great metric. That is a great metric. 
Cause you know, I'm cool. So I don't <laughs> you are cool. like, if I'm not, if I'm not cool enough for them, then there's a, there's a problem with them. That's it. I'm it's it's the, the issues like, with them. So no, not cool. I'm, I'm with like, you. The, I agree. <laughs> it's not cool how you think I'm not cool. Yeah. I yeah, identify as somebody yeah. that's cool and it's not cool that you don't. And so how yeah, about that? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, so that's my, that's my marker. I dig it. I dig the hell out of you. You're wonderful. We'll definitely have you back. Uh, let me ask you one more question. I'll turn you loose. Okay. Um, so aliens, what do you think's going on with the UFOs, aliens, all that kind of stuff? What, what's your read on that? You just opened up a big old can of worms. <laughs> we'll give give you a little <laughs> version of it. We'll tease it for the next time. <laughs> I live an hour and a half out of Sedona, outside of Sedona. I have experienced a lot of phenomena throughout my life. I grew up in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Um, I have my first cousin on my dad's side. So his first cousin actually studied alien abduction. Um, He's a physician by training. And so in my family, we have conversations about that. It's, you know, I'm, I'm always curious about what that is. I don't think that all ETs are malevolent, but I do think that I've started to be able to pick out some of the the reptilians on the planet. They're so easy to see. Once you know what to look for, it's like, oh my God, there's a, my husband and I will say, there's a reptilian walking down the street and they're just integrated with us. And are they awake? I don't know, but we can, we can see you. We can see you. So I think that, you know, I do, I channel, I channel benevolent councils of light um, and what I will say is that we can get sucked into the darkness, but there is so much light streaming onto this earth plane. And there are people like you and people like me and, and our colleagues who are anchoring light. And I think I'm shaking right now with the shaking, vibrating with the frequency of that light. And I sense that you probably are as well. And I think that that is, don't get lost in the distractions. That's what I will say about all of the all of the nonsense. Some of it is, oh, remind me to tell you about the dream I had about the the spaceship tin can. Well, that was now, a good one. Now you got to tell us that. All right. <laughs> spaceship tin can. And we'll wrap on that. <laughs> yeah. So this was in, this was like, I'll say it was like May of 2020. So right kind of as the pandemic was rising and everyone was being sent home and I was having this, I haven't eaten meat for since the pandemic started actually, but I had this dream and it wasn't a dream, but it was in my dream state of, um, I was on a movie set and they were filming a movie about aliens getting ready to land. And the, it was such a bad movie set. It was a terrible movie set. And all I could tell is that it looked like the, the spaceship was a tin can. Everything was fake and everything was an illusion, but they were trying to cast this as the big deal, the alien invasion. So that's what I actually think of a lot of, a lot of it. There's, there's two truths and a lie in all of this as well. So yes. And we, we have a big rabbit hole to go down with that because we just do. Uh, So we're going to have to have you on very soon. So Robin McKay, I can't thank you enough. This is so awesome. Uh, All the ways to find you, of course, will be located down in the show notes. You guys definitely check her out and you are soul tribe for sure. You will be back. So thank you so much for everything. You're absolutely amazing. You're welcome. And thank you so much for creating this space for me to be able to talk about these important topics. It's vital. A phenomenal conversation with a truly remarkable spirit having a human experience. Dr. Robin McKay, thank you so much. Guys, located down in the show notes are all of the ways to contact her. Make sure that you check her out if you feel called to do so. She is so cool. So thank you so much, Robin. I will definitely be inviting you back on. Uh, located down in the show notes as well is our resource link. So Food Forest Abundance, get that freedom from fear on Libsyn. If you'd like to start your own podcast, that link will give you two months free. Amazon, if you're going to buy any damn thing at all on Amazon, run it through the link. It helps the show. Uh, Opus is down there as well, guys. Check out that resource link for any missing time, uh, paranormal, any contact type event that you feel that you've encountered. Definitely click that link, Opus. They can for sure help you out. Uh, finally located down in the show notes there, guys, is expandingrealitypodcast.com. That's going to be where links to all the socials are. Merchandise can be found there, as well as uh, we've got lives that get replayed, uh, YouTube, all the too hot for YouTube stuff that we just can't put over there because it's way too hot. Check that all that stuff out, guys. It's a central hub for everything, and most of it is completely free. 
Now, I also mentioned here that this is a value for value system. So if you guys find this valuable, there are ways to, you know, throw some 3D energy at your boy in the show here to keep it going. Uh, and that is located down in the show notes as well. So you guys, thank you all so much for everybody's support. Y'all are wonderful. So thank you again. Um, to cap it off, guys, go out into this incredibly beautifully mysterious place, whatever the hell this thing is, and y'all just pick up a piece of litter, smile at everybody that you come across, lizard person or not, which I think it's really cool. Robin and her husband can spot the lizard people and say, ah, oh, that's a lizard person, but let's still be cool to him. Because she would smile at them as well. Uh, also, while you're doing all that, you know, buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal or something like super small to you. It means a massive thing to everybody that they come in contact with. You don't know what kind of day those people are having. So something like that is just magical. I do this stuff all the time. You should see the look on people's faces. They're blown away. And I'm not a fan of the strange look on people's faces. Like this should be very common. This, in my mind, again, uh, this should be very common. So let's replace those surprise looks with instantly grateful looks and then you know they buy somebody behind them something and it's just a really cool experience guys so anyway uh while you're doing all that kind of stuff and you know what i'm going to say get out of the left hand lane because that's a pain in the ass but also go out into this incredible place guys whatever the hell it is and y'all just be good to one another thank you so much for listening and watching we'll see you next time